Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. Chapter 1. The Challenge How is it that some people seem to accomplish so much, while the vast majority of people never accomplish what they are capable of? If you could fully tap your potential, what might be different for you? How would your life change if each and every day you performed up to your full potential? What would be different six months, three years, and five years down the road if each day you were at your best? That set of questions, that core concept, is what the past dozen years or so have been about for Mike and me. For years, we have been helping our clients to execute more effectively. We work with individuals, teams, and corporations to make plans to help them achieve their goals. Our quest has been to unlock the secret to helping individuals and organizations perform at their best and live the life they are truly capable of. If we did the things we are capable of doing, we would literally astound ourselves. Thomas Edison I agree with Stephen Pressfield, author of The War of Art, that most of us have two lives, the lives we live and the lives we are capable of living. It's the latter that intrigues me. It's the life, I believe, that we all deeply desire. It's the life that we know exists somewhere deep inside us that we wish we could actualize. This life isn't driven by the you who settles or gives in to procrastination and doubt, but by the optimal you, the best you, the confident you, the healthy you, the you who shows up with your best stuff, making things happen, making a difference, living a life of significance. Being your optimal self sounds great, doesn't it? But how do you become that other you? What does it take to be your best? That's an interesting question, and as I've had the opportunity to travel and meet thousands of people, I often ask them, what does it take to be your best, to be great? As you might imagine, I get a lot of different answers. In this audiobook, we will show you how to increase your current results by four times or more in a very short period of time. You will learn exactly what it takes to perform at your best every day. We will unwrap the secrets of top performers in a way that allows you to align your thinking and your actions to produce staggering results. You are about to learn that creating greatness in your life or in your organization isn't complicated. In fact, it's quite uncomplicated. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. The number one factor holding people back from achieving what they are truly capable of is not a lack of knowledge, intellect, or information. It's not a new strategy or idea. It's not a larger network of connected people. It's not hard work, natural talent, or luck. Of course, all these things help. They all play a factor, but they are not the factors that make the difference. You've no doubt heard the saying that knowledge is power. I disagree. Knowledge is only powerful if you use it, if you act on it. People spend lifetimes acquiring knowledge, but to what purpose? Knowledge alone 
benefits no one unless the person acquiring it does something with it, and great ideas are worthless unless they are implemented. The marketplace only rewards those ideas that get implemented. You can be smart and have access to lots of information and great ideas. You can be well-connected, work hard, and have lots of natural talent. But in the end, you have to execute. Execution is the single greatest market differentiator. Great companies and successful individuals execute better than their competition. The barrier standing between you and the life you are capable of living is a lack of consistent execution. Effective execution will set you free. It is the path to accomplish the things you desire. Think about the areas in your life where you've fallen short, accomplished less than you desire, or less than you feel you're capable of. In each one of those scenarios, if you look critically, the breakdown is most often in the execution. Take, for instance, a new idea that someone else has used to create success. How often does that idea fail when a different person tries it? One of our clients is a large insurance company with more than 2,000 agents. Within the company, there is one agent who is a perennial top producer year in and year out. As you might expect over the years, other agents have asked him if he would share his approach with them. Without hesitation, the top producer would take time out from his busy schedule to walk them through exactly what he did to create his success. You know how many people replicated his success? You guessed it. Zero. He now refuses to share his secret because no one follows through with what he teaches them. Sixty-five percent of Americans are overweight or obese. You think there is some secret to losing weight and getting fit? The diet and fitness industry is a sixty-billion-dollar industry. Each year, new books are published on diet and exercise. When I searched diet books on the Internet, my search came back with 45,915 results. Almost 46,000 books, some with familiar titles like The Atkins Diet or South Beach Diet, some with less familiar titles like Run, Fat Bitch, Run. Yet Americans continue to be overweight and out of shape. Most people know how to get back in shape, eat better, exercise more. They just don't do it. It's not a knowledge problem. It's an execution problem. Our experience has shown that most people have the capacity to double or triple their income just by consistently applying what they already know. Despite this, people continue to chase new ideas, thinking that the next idea is the one that will magically make it all better. Ann Laufman is a great example of the benefits of executing the right idea. Ann is a financial advisor with Mass Mutual in Houston. Ann has always done well and by any measure was successful, yet she felt like she was capable of more, but was not quite sure how to get there. When her managing partner introduced the 12-week year to the agency, Ann got involved. In the end, Ann experienced a 400% increase in production and became the first female associate of the year in the 103-year history of Mass Mutual Houston. What is interesting about this is that Anne didn't start to work with more affluent clients, write bigger cases, or expand her target market, all things that most advisors would pursue to increase their production. Instead, Anne focused on improving her execution 
by doing what she had already been doing, just doing it more steadily, by consistently executing the critical few tasks and strategies that most supported her success, she was able to create a huge increase, and all of this without working longer hours. Anne's situation is not unique. We have thousands of examples where individuals and entire organizations have experienced amazing results by simply learning to execute. It's not what you know. It's not even who you know. It's what you implement that counts. In the 12-week year, we will show you how to perform at your best and achieve the things in life that matter most to you through effective execution. Most of the stuff that we'll discuss you already know, but as I mentioned earlier, there's a big difference between knowing and doing. We will teach you how to consistently take action on the things that will shape your success. The concepts in this audiobook have been developed and proven in the field through our ongoing execution work with clients. We've included only what works and have eliminated the rest. The final product is a concise but powerful audiobook that delivers. While we do hope the audiobook is thought-provoking, it's more important to us that it inspires you to action. We have written the 12-week year to close the execution gap. It is written in a way that allows you to understand the fundamental concepts of execution and actually apply them right away. The audiobook is split into two parts. Part 1 helps you understand the process to achieve your most valuable goals in only weeks. Part 2 is all about making your goals happen. It gives you the specific tools and tips needed to support the ideas in Part 1 of the audiobook. Our 12-week execution system is both flexible and scalable. The concepts apply equally well for individuals as well as groups, both personally and professionally. We have had entire organizations, as well as individuals, apply the 12-week year with great success. While the audiobook is concise, the concepts it contains are powerful. It is possible for you to dramatically improve your results by applying them. We know this to be true because of the thousands of responses from the readers of our first edition. In this audiobook, we will show you how to substantially increase your current results lower your stress, build your confidence, and feel better about yourself. Not by working harder, but by focusing on the activities that matter most, maintaining a sense of urgency to get those things done, and shedding the low-value activity that keeps you stuck. Get ready. You are about to experience the 12-week year. Brian P. Moran and Michael Lennington Part 1. Things You Think You Know Part 1 will provide fresh insights regarding what it takes to be great and challenge what you think you know about what it takes to perform at your best and achieve your potential. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. John Wooden Chapter 2 Redefining the Year Most people, and most organizations for that matter, don't lack ideas. Whether they're effective marketing techniques, sales ideas, cost-cutting measures, or customer service enhancements, there are always more ideas than you can effectively implement. 
The breakdown is not in knowing, but in applying. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Henry Ford One of the things that gets in the way of individuals and organizations achieving their best is the annual planning process. As strange as this is going to sound, annual goals and plans are often a barrier to high performance. I'm not saying that annual goals and plans don't have a positive impact. They do. There's no question you will do better with annual goals and plans than without any goals and plans. However, we have found that this annual process inherently limits performance. As we worked with clients over the years, we noticed an interesting pattern emerging. Most of them believed, either consciously or unconsciously, that their success or failure was determined by what they had achieved over the course of a year. They set annual goals, created annual plans, and in many cases broke the goals down into quarterly, monthly, and sometimes even weekly plans. But in the end, they evaluated their success annually. The trap is what we call annualized thinking. Discard annualized thinking. At the heart of annualized thinking is an unspoken belief that there is plenty of time in the year to make things happen. In January, December looks a long way off. Think about it. We begin the year with big goals, but by the end of January, we usually find ourselves slightly behind where we need to be. While we're certainly not pleased, we're not too worried either, because we think to ourselves, I've got plenty of time, I've got eleven more months to catch up. At the end of March, we're still a bit behind, but again, we're not too worried. Why? Because we still think we've got plenty of time to catch up. And this thought pattern prevails late into the year. We mistakenly believe that there is a lot of time left in the year, and we act accordingly. We lack a sense of urgency, not realizing that every week is important, every day is important, every moment is important. Ultimately, effective execution happens daily and weekly. Another flawed premise with annualized thinking is the notion that sometime later in the year we will experience a significant improvement in results. It's as if something magical will happen in late September or October that will result in a substantial increase. If we can't produce a substantial increase this week, why do we think we can do it for the entire year? The fact is, every week counts, every day counts, every moment counts. We need to be conscious of the reality that execution happens daily and weekly, not monthly or quarterly. Annualized thinking and planning more often than not, leads to less than optimal performance. In order to perform at your best, you will need to get out of the annual mode and scrub your annualized thinking. Stop thinking in terms of a year. Instead, focus on shorter time frames. The annual execution cycle blinds people to the reality that life is lived in the moment and that ultimately success is created in the moment. It lulls people into believing that they can put things off, critical activity, and still accomplish what they desire, still achieve their goals. At this point, you might argue that almost every organization operates this way, and many of them hit their goals and make plan. I would argue back that making plan does not mean that they are accomplishing what they are capable of. 
We've had successful organizations increase their results by 50% in just 12 short weeks. In one example, we helped a billion-dollar brokerage operation double its sales productivity in six months. That is just not possible operating in an annual execution cycle. However organizations or individuals are performing, they will perform better in a non-annualized environment. Discard annualized thinking and watch what happens. Great things happen at year end. You've probably seen advertisements or heard the pitches proclaiming unbeatable deals as the end of the year approaches. The fact is, these end-of-year pushes get results and are standard practice in many industries. If you've ever been part of a year-end push, you know that everyone is focused on getting business in and completing important tasks. The difference between success and failure for the whole year can hang in the balance during the last 60 days. More often than not, results spike upward as the days left in the year dwindle toward zero. There's nothing like a deadline to get you motivated. It happens all the time in the insurance and financial services industries. For many agents and firms, December is traditionally the best month of the year, and the fourth quarter often represents 30 to 40 percent of the annual sales. It's amazing what happens when people have a goal and a deadline. Year-end is certainly a rousing time in most industries. Activity is up and people are focused. With little time to waste and clear objectives to meet, workers focus on the critical projects and opportunities. Tasks that are not directly related to driving results are pushed aside for what really matters in the short term. At this time of year, there also seems to be an increase in performance-related conversations. Management, focused on achieving their own performance goals, spends more time with associates reviewing results and encouraging them more than at any other time of the year. What is it about year-end? Why do people behave differently in November and December than they do in July and August? Inevitably, it is because there is a deadline, which, for most people, is December 31st. The end of the year represents a line in the sand, a point at which we measure our success or failure. Never mind that it's an arbitrary deadline. Everyone buys into it. It is the deadline that creates the urgency. Whether self-imposed or company-driven, November and December is crunch time. People procrastinate less at this time of year. Recognizing that time is running out, people address barriers and tasks that they had been avoiding earlier in the year. In these remaining days, a strong sense of urgency replaces diffusion and downtime. People pull out all the stops to get business placed before the year ends and there's a strong surge to cross the finish line before time runs out. In addition, there's a feeling of excitement that comes with the anticipation of a new year. Regardless of how you perform this year, you're hopeful that next year it will be better. If you had a tough year, the coming year provides you an opportunity to start fresh. If you've had a great year, you get a chance to build off of that. Either way, a new year holds lots of hope and high expectations of good things to come. Year-end is an exciting and productive time. The final five or six weeks of the year are the most fascinating time of the entire year. During this period, there is a frantic rush to end the year strong and to kick off the new one with gusto. 
The problem is that this urgency exists for just a handful of weeks. Wouldn't it be great if you could create that energy, focus, and commitment every week throughout the year? Well, you can. The 12-week year and the concept of periodization will show you how. Periodization Periodization began as an athletic training technique designed to dramatically improve performance. Its principles are focus, concentration, and overload on a specific skill or discipline. Periodization in sports is a focused training regimen that concentrates on one skill at a time for a limited period, usually four to six weeks. After each four to six week period, the athlete then moves on to the next skill in sequence. In this way, capacity in each skill is maximized. Eastern European athletes were the first to apply this technique in their Olympic training in the 1970s. Periodization is still widely used today in various training regimens. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Aristotle We realized how periodization could be powerful for our clients and in our own practice, so we adapted the technique for business and personal success. We have developed a 12-week approach to periodization that moves beyond just training to focus on the critical factors that drive income and life balance. The 12-week year defines what's important for you to do today so that your long-term objectives can be attained. The 12-week year is a structured approach that fundamentally changes the way you think and act. It's important to understand that the results you achieve are a direct byproduct of the actions you take. Your actions, in turn, are manifestations of your underlying thinking. Ultimately, it is your thinking that drives your results. It is your thinking that creates your experiences in life. In the long run, your actions are always congruent with your underlying thinking. When you focus on changing your actions, you experience incremental improvements. However, when your thinking shifts, everything changes. Your actions naturally realign with your new thought patterns. This is how breakthroughs are created. Breakthrough results don't start with your actions. They are first created in your thinking. Herein lies the power of the 12-week year. It shifts your mindset, thereby creating opportunities for breakthrough. The result is a heightened sense of urgency and an increased focus on the critical few, those important core activities that drive success and fulfillment, and the daily execution of those items to guarantee the achievement of your long-term objectives. The 12-week year provides the tools and focus for individuals and organizations to be highly successful. It creates a sense of clarity regarding what is important and a sense of urgency each day to do what is necessary. Furthermore, it addresses harvesting today's opportunities and also planting the essential seeds necessary to ensure continued success. Twelve weeks equals a year. Forget about a year. By now, you can see the pitfalls associated with the annualized thinking. Let's redefine a year. A year is no longer twelve months. It is now only twelve weeks. That's right, a year is now a 12-week period. 
there are no longer four periods in a year. That's old thinking. Now, there is just a 12-week year, followed by the next 12-week year, ad infinitum. Each 12-week period stands on its own. It is your year. Think about the implications of a 12-week year. The excitement, energy, and focus that happen every December now happen continuously. The year-end push to hit your goals now happens not once every 12 months, but all the time. The reason people start to behave differently in November and December is because they know that come December 31st, they will measure their success or failure. As I pointed out earlier, December 31st is an arbitrary date. But since it marks the end of the calendar year, it seems like a good time to take stock. There is nothing magical about this date other than the significance we give it. We have clients whose fiscal year ends on June 30th, and they experience a surge in June as the organization strives to close out the year with a strong finish. The date is largely immaterial. What matters is that there is a point in time where the game ends and success or failure is proclaimed. The 12-week year creates a new endgame date for you to assess your success or lack thereof. The great thing about having a 12-week year is that the deadline is always near enough that you never lose sight of it. It provides a time horizon that is long enough to get things done, yet short enough to create a sense of urgency and a bias for action. It's human nature that we behave differently when a deadline approaches. We procrastinate less, we reduce or eliminate avoidance activity, and we focus more on the things that matter. The 12-week year also forces you to confront your lack of execution. After all, how many bad weeks can you have in a 12-week year and still have a great year? Since you can't afford to have more than one or two bad weeks, every day of the week automatically becomes more important. The 12-week year narrows your focus to the week and, more to the point, the day, which is where execution occurs. You no longer have the luxury of putting off the critical activities, imagining that there is plenty of time left in the year. Effective execution does not happen monthly, quarterly, or semi-annually. It happens daily, ultimately, moment by moment. The 12-week year brings that reality front and center. In addition, you now experience the anticipation of a new year every 12 weeks. In the past, if an individual had set a stretch goal for the year that by the third quarter had clearly become unattainable, the lack of achievement became demoralizing. It's not uncommon for individuals or even entire teams who have mentally given up on their goals before October. With the 12-week year, that will never happen again. Every 12 weeks, you get a fresh start, a new year. So, if you've had a tough 12-week year, you can just shake it off, regroup, and start again. If you've had a strong 12-week year, you can build on that momentum. Either way, every 12 weeks is a new start. The 12-week year changes everything. And just like you do at the end of a calendar year, every 12 weeks you take a break, celebrate, and reload. It might be a three-day weekend or a week-long vacation. The important thing is that you take time out to reflect, regroup, and re-energize. 
For success-oriented people, it's easy to look at what lies ahead and not fully appreciate the ground already covered. The 12-week year presents, at a minimum, four times as many opportunities to recognize and celebrate your progress and accomplishments. Focusing on a 12-week year keeps you from getting ahead of yourself and ensures that each week counts. Chapter 3 The Emotional Connection Effective execution isn't complicated, but it's not necessarily easy either. In fact, most people and companies struggle to execute well. Execution invariably requires taking new actions, and new actions are often uncomfortable. When faced with a course of action that includes difficult or uncomfortable tasks, the short-term costs of taking action can seem so much greater than the long-term benefits of reaching the goal. Because of this, individuals and entire organizations often abandon both the tasks and, ultimately, the entire strategy. We have found from experience that to execute successfully, it is essential to have a strong emotional stake in the outcome. Without a compelling reason to choose otherwise, most people will take comfortable actions over uncomfortable ones. The issue is that the important actions are often the uncomfortable ones. In our experience, the number one thing that you will have to sacrifice to be great, to achieve what you are capable of, and to execute your plans, is your comfort. The secret to living your life to its potential is to value the important stuff above your own comfort. Therefore, the critical first step to executing well is creating and maintaining a compelling vision of the future that you want even more than you desire your own short-term comfort, and then aligning your short-term goals and plans with that long-term vision. Think about what you truly want to achieve. What legacy do you want to create? What do you want for yourself and for your family? What do you want spiritually? What level of security do you seek? What level of income and fulfillment do you want from your career? What interests do you wish you could pursue? What do you really want to do with the time you have been allotted? If you are going to perform at a high level, take new ground, and be great, then you better have a vision that is compelling. In order to achieve a level of performance that is greater than your current performance, you will need a vision of the future that is bigger than the present. You must find a vision with which you are emotionally connected. Without a compelling vision, you will discover there is no reason to go through the pain of change. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. Behind every impossible achievement is a dreamer of impossible dreams. Robert K. Greenleaf Vision is the starting point of all high performance. You create things twice, first mentally, then physically. The biggest barrier to high performance is not the physical manifestation, but the mental creation. 
you will never outpace your mental models. Vision is the first place where you engage your thinking about what is possible for you. You must be clear on what it is you want to create. Most people focus primarily on their business or career, but business is just a part of life, and it is actually your life vision that gives traction and relevance to your business. That is why we begin with your personal vision, what you want your life to look like in the future. After that is established, we move on to what your business needs to look like in order to align with and enable your personal vision. The more personally compelling your vision is, the more likely it is that you will act upon it. It is your personal vision that creates an emotional connection to the daily actions that need to take place in your business. In order to tap the incredible power of your vision, you need a future that is bigger than the present. If you're going to create a breakthrough, if you're going to reach the next level, you will need to move through fear, uncertainty, and discomfort. It is your personal vision that keeps you in the game when things become difficult. A compelling personal vision creates passion. Think about something that you are passionate about, and you will always find a clear vision behind it. If you find you're lacking passion in either your business or in a relationship, it's not a crisis of passion, it's a crisis of vision. We will show you how to craft a compelling personal vision and a business vision that aligns with and supports your life goals. All my life I wanted to be somebody. Now I see I should have been more specific. Lily Tomlin The first step is to create a personal vision, a vision that clearly captures and articulates what you want in life. The personal vision should define the life you want to live in all areas, including spiritual, relationships, family, income, lifestyle, health, and community. The personal vision creates the foundation for an emotional link to your business and career objectives so that there is a strong alignment between what you pursue in your business and the life you desire to live. Your business vision is most powerful when it is developed in light of your personal vision. The reason so many people fail to follow through when things become difficult is due to this lack of connection with their personal lives. Your business objectives are not the end in themselves, but the means to an end. Too often, managers and associates plan for business success, but fail to connect with the real power source that will enable them to achieve that success. In essence, the personal vision is the reason why we work in the first place. Once you understand the linkage between your life vision and your business success, you can define exactly what level of income or production your business must deliver in order to support your complete vision. Vision provides you with that line of sight, that emotional link, to help you overcome the challenges and execute. When the task seems too difficult or unpleasant, you can reconnect with your personal objectives and vision. It is this emotional connection that will provide you with the inner strength to forge ahead in spite of any difficulties, thus enabling you to achieve your dreams and desires. Your Brain and Vision The brain is an amazing organ. As David Frost once pointed out, 
It starts working the moment you get up in the morning and doesn't stop until you get into work. Our brains are wonderful, powerful, and inconsistent. Due to its multiple functions, sometimes your brain can seem to be working at cross-purposes with itself. Have you ever felt like your brain was in conflict with itself? If so, you're not alone or crazy. There is some groundbreaking research that explains what you're experiencing and offers powerful insights on how you can use your brain more effectively to live the life you desire. Researchers have found that a portion of the brain, the amygdala, reacts negatively when we are facing uncertainty and risk. This response is quite helpful in avoiding danger and staying alive. Unfortunately, when we imagine the future as being vastly different from today, we experience uncertainty because we don't know how to create and maintain the future we are imagining. When this happens, the amygdala kicks in. That's when the part of our brain that avoids risk gets in our way. It seeks to keep us out of uncertain and risky situations. When you start to envision a future that stretches your comfort zone and is significantly bigger and bolder than what you are currently living, the amygdala tries to shut down the process before you do anything that could be detrimental. That's the bad news. At one level, we are all wired to resist change and postpone greatness. The good news is there is also a portion of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, PFC, that acts as a counterbalance to the amygdala. The PFC lights up when you look out over open vistas and, interestingly, when you imagine greatness for yourself in the future. Scientists can track increased electrical impulses in the PFCs of test subjects when they think about a compelling future. Research has also shown that our brains have a powerful capacity to change. In the past, scientists thought that our brains were essentially static after we became adults, but they now know that the brain can change over time. The areas that we use frequently actually grow in the density of neural connections and in size. This capacity for our brains to change is called neuroplasticity. Here's why it's such a big deal. Your brain has the ability to change and develop physiologically, and it does so based on how you use it. That is good news and bad news. The bad news is that unless you intentionally engage the PFC, you are, by default, relatively strengthening the portion of your brain that resists change and keeps you stuck. The good news is that you can change your brain simply by what you think about. You have the ability to strengthen and develop your brain by thinking about a compelling future for yourself, by regularly and repeatedly thinking about an inspiring vision where you emotionally connect with the life you desire. And here's what may be the best part. When you think about a compelling vision, the neurons that fire in your brain are the same neurons that fire when you act on your vision. What that means is that you can literally train your brain to act on your vision just by thinking about it. The first step, though, is creating an inspiring vision and learning how to stay connected with it. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mary Oliver Chapter 4 
Throw out the annual plan. Once you have a clear vision of where you want to go, you will need a plan to get there. Imagine yourself driving across country on a family vacation without a map. You will probably agree that this is not a good idea. A vision without a plan is a pipe dream. Having a plan to achieve your vision and your professional goals is even more essential than having a map to navigate a cross-country trek. Yet, the sad truth is that most individuals spend more time planning a trip than they do planning their business. Working from a plan has three distinct benefits. 1. It reduces mistakes. 2. It saves time. 3. It provides focus. Planning allows you to think through in advance the best approach to achieving your goals. You make your mistakes on paper, which reduces miscues during implementation. In addition, studies have shown that planning saves significant time and resources. This may seem paradoxical. In fact, many people feel that if they are not constantly doing, they are not productive. The reality is that planning is some of the most productive time you can have. Finally, planning, like a good road map, keeps you focused and on purpose. This is vital, as there are all kinds of day-to-day -day distractions to pull you off course. Your plan continually brings you back to the strategically important items. 12-Week Planning Like no other approach that we are aware of, 12-week planning delivers these benefits and then some over traditional annual planning. We're not talking about quarterly planning. Remember, that's part of the outdated annualized thinking model. With 12-week planning, every 12 weeks stands alone. Every 12 weeks is a new year and a fresh opportunity to be great. 12-week planning also offers three additional and distinct differences from annual planning. The first thing that is different with 12-week planning is that it is more predictable than 12-month planning. The farther you plan into the future, the less predictability you have. With long-term plans, assumptions are stacked upon earlier assumptions, which are stacked upon even earlier assumptions. If you're that good at predicting the future, call me. I'd love to talk to you about your stock picks. The reality is that it is very difficult, if not impossible, to determine what your daily actions should be 11 or 12 months into the future. That is why annual plans are generally objective-based. With a 12-week plan, predictability is much greater. You can define with a high degree of certainty what actions you need to implement each week over the next 12 weeks. 12-week plans are both numbers and activity-based. They create a strong connection between the actions you take today and the results you want to achieve. The second difference with 12-week planning is that it is more focused. Most annual plans have too many objectives, which is one of the primary reasons execution fails. The reason most plans contain so much is because you're planning for 12 months, laying out all the things you want to achieve over the next 365 days. It's no wonder you become disillusioned and frustrated. You end up spread too thin and diffused, not a recipe for greatness. There will always be more opportunities than you can effectively pursue. 
With the twelve-week year, the approach is to be great at a few things instead of mediocre at many things. In twelve-week planning, you identify the top one to three things that will have the greatest impact and pursue those with intensity. The twelve-week plan focuses on a few key areas and creates the energy and urgency to act. The third thing that is different with twelve-week plans is the structure. In our experience, most plans are written with the unspoken goal of just developing a good plan. Most often, these plans are then placed in a nice binder and rarely get implemented. Setting Goals The whole point of planning should be to help you identify and implement the critical few actions that you need to take to reach your goal. If planning didn't help you execute better, there would be no reason to plan. However, the sad fact is that most plans are not written with implementation in mind. The way the plan is structured and how it is written impacts your ability to effectively execute. Effective planning strikes a working balance between too much complexity and too little detail. Your plan should start by identifying your overall goals for the 12 weeks. The goal defines success for the 12-week year. It represents a great 12 weeks and also represents intentional progress toward your long-term vision. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Yogi Berra Once you have established your 12-week goals, tactics will then need to be determined. The easiest way to do this is to break your 12-week goal down to its individual parts. For example, if your 12-week goal is to earn $10,000 and lose 10 pounds, then you should write tactics for your income goal and your weight loss goal separately. Tactics are the daily to-dos that drive the attainment of your goals. Tactics must be specific, actionable, and include due dates and assigned responsibilities. We'll have more to say on how to write effective tactics a little later in the application section. The 12-week plan is structured so that if the tactics are completed on a timely basis, the goals are achieved. Remember, in order to keep from losing your way with a 12-week focus, you will need to align your 12-week plan to your longer-term vision. A 12-week plan is powerful. It allows you to focus on what's important now. Remember that the 12-week plan is not part of an annual plan. That's old, annualized thinking. Twelve weeks is long enough to get things done, and yet is short enough to create and maintain a sense of urgency. For top performers, twelve-week plans provide a step-by-step -step roadmap that eliminates diffusion and delays and demands immediate action. Chapter 5. One Week at a Time Long-term results are created by the actions you take every day. Sir William Osler, founder of Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, said that the secret of his success was living his life in day-tight compartments. What he found was that while we plan for the future, we act in the day. To be truly effective, your daily activity must align with your long-term vision, strategies, and tactics. In the end, you have greater control over your actions than you do your results. Your results are created by your actions. 
That's why it is so important to construct plans that are not only numbers-based, but also identify specific, critical activity. The greatest predictor of your future is your daily actions. The physical universe will not respond to your desires, no matter how passionate or intense they are. The one thing that moves the universe is action. As we discussed earlier, vision matters in that it defines the end game and the overall direction you want to go. Vision also provides the motivation to act, but vision without action is just a dream. It is the consistent action that turns a dream into reality. This is where progress most often breaks down. Most of us aspire to improve some area of our lives. Whether you want to earn more money, find a new job, meet the right mate, lose a few pounds, improve a relationship, or be a better golfer, parent, or person, desire alone is not enough. It's not enough to have the intention of changing. You have to act on that intention for things to get better, and not just once, but consistently. As the ancient Roman philosopher Lucretius pointed out, the fall of dropping water wears away the stone. Consistent action on the critical tasks needed to reach your goal is the key to getting what you want in life. Your current actions are creating your future. If you want to know what the future holds, look to your actions. They are the best predictor of your future. You want to predict your future health? Look at your current eating and exercise habits. You want to predict the health of your marriage? Look at your interactions with your spouse. You want to predict your career path and future income? Look at the actions you take each business day. Your actions tell the story. The Weekly Plan An ounce of action is worth a ton of theory. Ralph Waldo Emerson The Weekly Plan is a powerful tool that translates your 12-week plan into daily and weekly action. The weekly plan is the instrument that organizes and focuses your week. It becomes your weekly game plan. This will keep you on track with your core activity every day. Weekly plans allow you to structure your activities so that you are focused on both the long-term and short-term tasks that are truly important. This allows you to stay focused and productive in the moment instead of getting caught up in all the noise and distractions that easily derail you. The weekly plan is not a glorified to-do list. Rather, it reflects the critical strategic activity from your 12-week plan that needs to take place this week in order for you to achieve your goals. The starting point for an effective weekly plan is your 12-week plan. The 12-week plan contains all of the tactics you need to execute in order to achieve your 12-week goals. Each tactic has a designated week for completion, and these tactics drive your weekly plan by dictating your daily actions. The weekly plan, then, is simply a derivative of the 12-week plan. In essence, a one-twelfth slice of the 12-week plan. To use your weekly plan effectively, you will need to spend the first 15 or 20 minutes at the beginning of each week to review your progress from the past week and plan the upcoming one. In addition, the first five minutes of each day should be spent reviewing your weekly plan to plan that day's activities. A 12-week year creates greater focus by highlighting the value of each week. With the 12-week year, 
a year is now equivalent to twelve weeks, a month is now a week, and a week is now a day. When you look at it this way, the importance and power of each day becomes even greater. Your weekly plan enables you to focus your actions and be great at a few things rather than mediocre at many. To ensure that you get the most from your efforts, a weekly plan is a powerful and indispensable tool. Your weekly plan encompasses your strategies and priorities, your long-term and short-term tasks, and your commitments in the context of time. It helps you focus on the elements of your plan that must happen each week to keep you on track with your 12-week year goals. Your goals, in turn, keep you on track with your vision. Everything is powerfully aligned. To really benefit from this tool, you will need to carry it with you and work from it on a daily basis. Start each day with your weekly plan. Check in with it several times throughout the day. If you've scheduled a tactic to be completed that day, don't go home until it is done. This ensures that the critically important tasks, your plan tactics, are completed each week. Visit our website at www.12weekyear.com to see a sample of a weekly plan and the other tools in our Achieve website. The weekly plan, more than any other tool, will help you execute on a daily and weekly basis and will help you achieve your vision. Chapter 6 Confronting the Truth Have you ever wondered why sports are so motivating? In fact, not only are they motivating to the players, but also to spectators. Can you imagine people fans coming to watch you work, paying for the privilege to see you in action? One of the key reasons sports are so stimulating is that we keep score. Scorekeeping is at the heart of competition. We keep track of scores, measurements, and stats to determine success and identify areas for improvement. At any point during a sporting event, every player, coach, and fan knows exactly where their team stands. This information provides a base of knowledge to guide decisions that lead to better performance and success. In other words, scorekeeping lets us know if what we're doing is effective. Too often in business we fail to keep score, and without some objective measure, we cannot know for certain if we are being effective. Just as in athletics, measurement drives the business process. In the 1960s, Frederick Hertzberg an industrial psychologist, set out to determine what motivates people in the workplace. His extensive research identified the top two motivators as achievement and recognition. We contend that the only way to know if you are achieving is through measurement, that is, keeping score. A common misconception is that scoring damages self-esteem, but research indicates the opposite. Measurement builds self-esteem and confidence because it documents progress and achievement. Measuring Results Scorekeeping functions as a reality check, providing performance feedback and insight into your effectiveness. Effective measurement removes the emotion from the evaluation process and paints an honest picture of your performance. The data is not concerned with effort or intentions. It simply focuses on outcomes. 
We all have a tendency from time to time to rationalize lackluster results. But with effective scorekeeping, we are forced to confront the reality of our situation, even when it's uncomfortable. While this can be difficult, the sooner we confront reality, the sooner we can shift our actions toward producing more desirable results. That's what effective measurement does. It demands our attention and causes us to respond more immediately, increasing the likelihood of success down the road. In God we trust. All others must bring data. W. Edwards Deming Measurement drives the execution process. It is the anchor of reality. Can you imagine the CEO of a large corporation not knowing the numbers? It's no different for you or me. As the CEO of your own life and business, you need to know the numbers. Measurement provides important feedback that allows you to make intelligent decisions. Effective measurement captures both lead and lag indicators that provide comprehensive feedback necessary for informed decision-making. Lag indicators, things like income, sales, commission dollars, pounds lost, body fat percentage, overall cholesterol levels, represent the end results that you are striving to achieve. Lead indicators are the activities that produce the end results. For instance, the number of sales calls or referrals are lead indicators in the sales process. While most companies and individuals effectively measure lag indicators, Many tend to disregard lead indicators. An effective measurement system will have a combination of complementary lead and lag indicators. The most important lead indicator you have is a measure of your execution. Ultimately, you have greater control over your actions than over your results. Your results are created by your actions. An execution measure indicates whether you did the things you said were most important to achieving your goals. Keep in mind that you started with a vision, a compelling vision of the future that is bigger than the present. Then, you established a set of 12-week goals that are aligned with that vision. For each goal, you developed actions or tactics that describe the steps that you must take to achieve your goals. The element you have the most direct control over is the execution of your tactics. Knowing to what degree you followed through on those tactics is the execution measure. Because your 12-week goals were established in light of your longer-term vision, the execution measure also represents progress toward your vision. Having a way to measure your execution is critical because it allows you to pinpoint breakdowns and respond quickly. Unlike results, which can lag weeks, months, and in some cases years behind your actions, an execution measure provides more immediate feedback, which allows you to make game-time adjustments much faster. An execution measure is important for another reason as well. If you are not hitting your goal, you need to know whether it is due to a flaw in plan content or in execution, because there's a big difference in how to handle these two breakdowns. A breakdown in plan content occurs when strategies and tactics are not effective while a breakdown in execution occurs when you fail to fully implement the planned tactics. More than 60% of the time, the breakdown occurs in the execution process. But usually, people assume that the plan is at fault and change it. 
This is a mistake, because you don't know if the plan doesn't work if you're not working the plan. Effective measurement will help you pinpoint the source of the breakdown so that you can address it head-on. In most cases, unless you are executing at a reasonably high level, there's no need to change or adjust your plan. The great thing is that every time you execute, you get feedback. If your actions don't produce what you expected, you can make the necessary adjustments to your plan based on market feedback. But first, you must execute the plan. Too often, people want to change the plan before they've really executed it. As a general rule, you should rarely change the plan unless you've been effectively completing your plan tactics and it is still not producing. You could have created an awesome plan, but you'll never know unless you actually implement it. However, if you are executing at a high level and the results you want are not coming, then it's time to go back and adjust the plan. Physics tells us that for every action there is a reaction, so the good news is that every time you execute you produce something. It may not be what you expected, but something will happen. This something is market feedback, and it's impossible to effectively adjust your plan without it. Without knowing what tactics you executed, any changes you make will be based purely on guesswork. Truth is the only safe ground to stand on. Elizabeth Cady Stanton Weekly Scorecard The best way to measure your execution is to work from a weekly plan based upon your 12-week plan and evaluate the percentage of tactics completed. For the 12-week year, we've developed a tool called the Weekly Scorecard. If you've followed the process thus far, you understand that the weekly plan represents the critical activities that you need to accomplish each week to achieve your overall goals. The Weekly Scorecard then provides an objective measure of how well you executed your weekly plan. With the Weekly Scorecard, you measure execution not results. You score yourself on the percentage of activities you complete each week. We urge you to strive for excellence, not perfection. We have found that if you successfully complete 85% of the activities in your weekly plan, then you will most likely achieve your objectives. Remember that your plan contains the top priorities that will add the most value and have the greatest impact. In other words, you only need to be 85% effective on the top priorities to achieve excellence. A word of caution. Scorekeeping is not for the faint of heart. There will be times when you don't execute well and score poorly. People often drop out when they reach this point because they lack the courage to face the reality of their actions. Instead of scoring their performance, they distract themselves with other things that seem important in the moment. With the 12-week year, there is nowhere to hide. It shines a light on where you are performing and where you are not. All of us, from time to time, will struggle to execute. The 12-week year system forces you to confront your lack of execution, and it's uncomfortable, but it is the very thing that is required if you're going to perform at your best. We call this discomfort productive tension. Productive tension is the uncomfortable feeling you get when you're not doing the things that you know you need to do. Our natural inclination when confronted with discomfort is to resolve it. 
In an effort to do this, people generally go one of two ways. The easy way out is to simply stop using the system and turn off the light that is shining on your performance breakdowns. Typically, this takes the form of passive resistance, and you put off scoring your week and tell yourself that you'll get to it later, but later never comes. The other way is to use productive tension as a catalyst for change. Instead of responding to the discomfort by bailing out, high achievers use the tension as an impetus to move forward. If you decide that quitting is not an option, then the discomfort of productive tension will eventually compel you to take action on your tactics. This encourages you to move forward by executing your plan. Even with a weekly score of 65 to 70 percent, you will do well if you stay in the game. You won't accomplish what you are capable of, but you will do well. It's important to remember that the process is not about being perfect, but rather about getting better and better. Measurement drives the process. Effective scorekeeping is essential if you want to execute well and perform at your best. Take time to establish a set of key measures that include lead and lag indicators, and most importantly, be sure to score your execution. Have the courage to measure your performance. Chapter 7 Intentionality Everything you want to accomplish in life requires an investment of your time, so when you want to improve your results, you must face the fact that your supply of time is completely inelastic and perishable. Even in this era of rapid innovation and technological advancement, time, more than any other resource, still limits our results. When we ask our clients what keeps them from achieving more, most often we hear that it's a lack of time, and yet time is the most squandered of all personal resources. A study conducted a few years ago by Salary.com found that the average person wastes nearly two hours of every working day. The Importance of Yes and No The reality is that if you are not purposeful about how you spend your time, then you leave your results to chance. While it's true that we control our actions and not our outcomes, our results are created by our actions. It stands to reason that the actions we choose to take throughout our day ultimately determine our destiny. In spite of the priceless value of time, many people engage each day on its own terms. In other words, they satisfy the various demands of the day as they are presented, spending whatever time is needed to respond without giving much thought as to the relative value of the activity. This is a reactive approach in which the day is controlling you and prevents you from performing at your best. To realize your potential, you must learn to be more mindful about how you spend your time. Living with clear intention goes against the powerful natural tendency to be reactive because it requires you to organize your life around your priorities and consciously choose those activities that align with your goals and vision. When you spend your time with intention, you know when to say yes and when to say no. You are probably aware when you are procrastinating or engaging in low-level activity to avoid tackling a less comfortable high-payoff activity. 
when you use your time intentionally, you waste less of it and spend more of it on your high-value actions. But to do this, you must be willing to be disciplined and structure your days and weeks. The best way to do this is to use your 12-week plan to drive your activity, so that in the end you set your goals for the day instead of letting the day direct you. Intentionality is your secret weapon in your war on mediocrity. It's not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? Henry David Thoreau Blocking Your Time Benjamin Franklin said, If we take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. That is wise counsel. The challenge in applying this wisdom is that throughout the day things come up, things that you didn't anticipate that will eat up your valuable minutes. Trying to reduce these interruptions usually doesn't work well, and it can be more difficult than just dealing with them. In our opinion, the key to successful time use, intentional time use, is not trying to eliminate these unplanned interruptions, but instead to block out regular time each week dedicated to your strategically important tasks. We call this performance time and find that it is the best approach to effectively allocating time that we have ever encountered. It utilizes a simple time-blocking system to regain control of your day and maximize your effectiveness. There are three primary components of performance time. Strategic blocks, buffer blocks, and breakout blocks. Strategic blocks. A strategic block is a three-hour block of uninterrupted time that is scheduled into each week. During this block, you accept no phone calls, no faxes, no emails, no visitors, no anything. Instead, you focus all your energy on your pre-planned tasks, your strategic and money-making activities. Strategic blocks concentrate your intellect and creativity to produce breakthrough results. You will likely be astounded by the quantity and quality of the work you produce. For most people, one strategic block per week is sufficient. Buffer Blocks Buffer blocks are designed to deal with all of the unplanned and low-value activities, like most email and voicemail, that arise throughout a typical day. Almost nothing is more unproductive and frustrating than dealing with constant interruptions, yet we've all had days when unplanned items dominated our time. For some, one 30-minute buffer block a day is sufficient, while for others, two separate one-hour blocks may be necessary. The power of buffer blocks comes from grouping together activities that tend to be unproductive so that you can increase your efficiency in dealing with them and take greater control over the rest of your day. Breakout Blocks One of the key factors contributing to performance plateaus is the absence of free time. Very often, entrepreneurs and professionals get caught up in working longer and harder but this approach kills your energy and enthusiasm. To achieve greater results, what's often necessary is not actually working more hours, but rather taking some time away from work. It's not by chance that people often quote the famous proverb, 
All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. When we don't take time off from work, we can lose our creative edge. An effective breakout block is at least three hours long and spent on things other than work. It is time scheduled away from your business during normal business hours that you will use to refresh and reinvigorate your mind so that when you return to work, you can engage with more focus and energy. If you are not in control of your time, you are not in control of your results. Performance time applies to more than just strategic, buffer, and breakout blocks. The more you can create routine in your days and weeks, the more effective your execution will be. The best way to accomplish this is to create a picture of an ideal week. The concept of an ideal week is to plan on paper all the critical tasks that occur in a typical week and organize them so you can be most productive. If you can't fit all the things you do on paper, there's no way you'll get them done in reality, so the exercise of strategically planning your week will cause you to make some hard choices about how you use your time. As you create your ideal week, it helps to schedule routine tasks at the same time, on the same day each week if possible. Consider when you tend to be at your best. Are you a morning person, or are you better in the afternoon or evening? Schedule your most important activities during your prime time. We will walk you through how to create your model week in Chapter 17. For many of our clients, performance time has had an immediate impact on results. Just gaining control over a few hours each week often has a dramatic effect. Learn to use your time with greater intention, and you will not only be more effective, but you will also feel a greater sense of control, less stress, and increased confidence. Chapter 8 Accountability as Ownership Accountability is perhaps the most misunderstood concept in business and life. Most people equate it with bad behavior, poor performance, and negative consequences. As an example, when an athlete does something in violation of the league's conduct policy, the commissioner will state publicly that the league will hold this athlete accountable and then issues a fine or suspension. It's no wonder that most people want nothing to do with accountability. Our last free act, after which no further free acts are possible, is to deny that we are free. Peter Kestenbaum People often talk about holding others accountable, especially in business situations. Often, you'll hear management say something like, We need to do a better job of holding people accountable. I've even heard individuals who truly desire to perform better say, I just need someone to hold me accountable. These types of statements reflect the mistaken notion that accountability is something that can and must be imposed. That's not accountability, that's consequences. In fact, it is impossible to hold someone else accountable. I like to joke that you can hold a baby and you can hold a bag of groceries, but you can't hold someone accountable. Accountability is not consequences, but ownership. It is a character trait, a life stance, a willingness to own your actions and results regardless of the circumstances.
in the book Freedom and Accountability at Work, Applying Philosophic Insight to the Real World, the authors Peter Kestenbaum and Peter Block discuss accountability as follows. We have a small way of thinking about accountability. We think that people want to escape from being accountable. We believe that accountability is something that must be imposed. We have to hold people accountable, and we devise reward and punishment schemes to do this. These beliefs are so dominant in our culture that they are difficult to question. Yet they are the very beliefs that keep us from experiencing what we long for. The very nature of accountability rests in the understanding that each and every one of us has freedom of choice. It is this freedom of choice that is the foundation of accountability. Accountability is the realization that you always have choice, that, in fact, there are no have-tos in life. Have-tos are those things we hate to do but do anyway because we have to. The fact is that there are no have-tos. Everything we do in life is a choice. Even in an environment where there are requirements of you, you still have choice. But there is a big difference when you approach something as a choose-to versus a have-to. When something is a have-to, it's a burden, it's cumbersome, and, at best, you meet the minimum standards. However, the realization that you ultimately have choice creates a very different scenario. When you choose to do something, you are able to tap your resources and give your best. It is a much more empowering stance. Ultimately, you choose your actions, your results, your consequences. Accountability is not consequences. It's ownership. All of us have a tendency to look outside of ourselves for things to change and improve. We are waiting for the economy to pick up, for the housing market to turn around, or for our company to come up with a new product, more competitive pricing, or better advertising. It's easy to become a victim to outside circumstances, spending time and energy hoping and imagining what our lives would be like if the world around us were different believing that these are the keys to improving our results. The truth is, you don't control any of these things. The only things you control are your thinking and your actions. But those are enough if, and that's a big if, you are willing to own them. Don't get the wrong impression that somehow accountability, as we've described it here, is passive. It's quite the contrary. True accountability actively confronts the truth. It confronts with freedom of choice and the consequences of those choices. In this way, accountability is extremely empowering, but you must be willing to confront reality and the truth of your situation. How you view accountability and to what degree you embrace it affects everything you do, from your relationships to your ability to execute effectively. When you understand that true accountability is about choice and taking ownership of your choices, everything changes. You move from resistance to empowerment, from limits to possibilities, and from mediocrity to greatness. At the end of the day, the only accountability that truly exists is self-accountability. The only person who can hold you accountable for anything is you, and to be successful, you must develop the mental honesty and courage 
to own your thinking, actions, and results. Chapter 9 Interest versus Commitment Commitments are a powerful part of the 12-week year. An ability to make and keep commitments improves results, builds trust, and fosters high-performance teams. Yet, many of us avoid making commitments, and worse yet, we often break them when the going gets tough. To be truly great at what we do, we have to become better at keeping our promises. Commitment is an act, not a word. Jean-Paul Sartre There is an old anecdote about commitments involving a chicken and a pig at breakfast time. The chicken has contributed the egg and is therefore merely interested in the breakfast. The pig, however, contributes the bacon and is thus completely committed. It's a humorous story, but ultimately paints a negative picture of commitment. In reality, kept commitments benefit both parties involved by improving relationships, strengthening integrity, and building self-confidence. Commitments are powerful and, oftentimes, life-changing. I'm sure you can recall a time when you were determined to accomplish something meaningful and you were willing to do whatever it took to make it happen. One of the most powerful commitments that I have ever made was to my father. It was the summer after my first year of college, and I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. The two of us were working in the garden, talking about my freshman year. It quickly became apparent to me during that conversation that my father and I had different perspectives on the purpose of college. The issue was my grades. I was on the dean's list, but unfortunately for me, the dean kept two lists, and I was on the one for academic probation. My father explained that he was unwilling to continue helping with tuition unless my results improved. I felt terrible and made a commitment that day to my father and myself. I promised him that when I went back to school in the fall, I would get all A's. He challenged me to meet my commitment by adding to the stakes. If I did get all A's, he would give me $500. If I didn't, I would owe him $500. When I went back to school that fall, I pulled out all the stops. I went to class, took notes and lectures, read the text, and did the homework. I also stopped socializing as much as I had during my first year. In the end, I got the grades, straight A's. The $500 is long gone, but that commitment changed my life. I started showing up on the real dean's list, and I never went back. My story is a great example of commitment. A commitment is a personal promise. Keeping your promises to others builds trust and strong relationships, and keeping promises to yourself builds character, esteem, and success. Unless commitment is made, there are only promises and hopes, but no plans. Peter Drucker A definition of commitment that I like is the state of being bound emotionally or intellectually to a course of action. American Heritage Dictionary, 4th edition. From this perspective, a commitment is a conscious choice to act in order to create a desired result. We all know intuitively that an ability to keep commitments is fundamental to effective execution and high performance. 
but many of us fall short of our commitments on a regular basis. It seems that when things get difficult, we find reasons why we can't keep our promises and we shift our focus to other activities. Often our interest wanes when things get tough. It is important to understand that there is a difference between interest and commitment. When you are interested in doing something, you do it only when circumstances permit. But when you are committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. When we commit to something, we do things that we would not ordinarily do. The question of if goes away, and the only question you ask is how. Commitment is powerful, but there are times when all of us struggle to commit. Here are the four keys to successful commitments. 1. Strong Desire In order to fully commit to something, you need a clear and personally compelling reason. Without a strong desire, you will struggle when the implementation gets difficult, but with a compelling desire, seemingly insurmountable obstacles are seen as challenges to be met. The desired end result needs to be meaningful enough to get you through the hard times and keep you on track. 2. Keystone Actions Once you have an intense desire to accomplish something, then you need to identify the core actions that will produce the results you are after. In today's world, many of us have become spectators rather than participants. We must remember that it's what we do that counts. In most endeavors, there are often many activities that help you accomplish your goal. However, there are usually only a few core activities that account for the majority of the results, and in some cases, there are only one or two keystone actions that ultimately produce the result. It is critical that you identify these keystones and focus on them. 3. Count the Costs Commitments require sacrifice. In any effort, there are benefits and costs. Too often, we claim to commit to something without considering the costs, the hardships that will have to be overcome to accomplish your desire. Costs can include time, money, risk, uncertainty, loss of comfort, and so on. Identifying the costs before you commit allows you to consciously choose whether you are willing to pay the price of your commitment. When you face any of these costs, it is extremely helpful to recognize that you anticipated them and decided that reaching your goal was worth it. 4. Act on commitments, not feelings. There will be times when you won't feel like doing the critical activities. We've all been there. Getting out of bed at 5.30 a.m. to jog in the winter cold can be daunting, especially when you're in a toasty warm bed. It is during these times that you will need to learn to act on your commitments instead of your feelings. If you don't, you will never build any momentum and will get stuck continually restarting or, as is so often the case, giving up. Learning to do the things you need to do, regardless of how you feel, is a core discipline for success. Many times commitments are made more arduous by the time frame for which they are made. It is difficult to commit to anything for a lifetime. Even keeping a promise for an entire year can be challenging. With the 12-week year, you are not asked to make lifetime or even annual commitments, but rather 12-week commitments. 
it is much more feasible to establish and keep a commitment for twelve weeks than to keep it for twelve months. At the end of the twelve weeks, you reassess your commitments and begin again. Our commitments ultimately shape our lives. They support sound marriages, create lasting relationships, drive our results, and help build our character. There is just something incredibly empowering about knowing if you say you're going to do something that you can count on yourself, that you don't need to hedge your bets. Chapter 10 Greatness in the Moment They say that with technology the world is now smaller. I think it's also moving faster. Life seems to be getting busier and speeding up. Don't get me wrong, technology is great. My phone now has way more computing capability and usefulness than the first laptop I purchased in 1988 for about six grand. The downside is that we now have very little downtime in our day. It used to be that on the drive to and from work, you could ramp up and ramp down. But now, most people spend that time on the phone. The natural margin in our day is disappearing, but we still need time to mentally relax. In this hurried new world, multitasking has become a highly valued skill. The belief is that in order to get the most out of my day, I need to be fully scheduled, fully committed, and constantly on the run. The fear is that I might miss out on something good, so I hurry from one meeting or event to the next, squeezing in a phone call or two in between. When I'm in meetings, I'm constantly checking my email and messages because I don't want to miss anything. And with texting, I can carry on two or three conversations at one time. Not many people would admit that this is the way they operate, but just look around you. This is the way most people behave. In our efforts not to miss anything, we unwittingly miss everything. Our attention is spread over various subjects and conversations, and when we strive to do so much, we actually apply very little of ourselves to any individual activity. We feel stressed out, burned out, exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected. In the end, this approach practically guarantees that we will be mediocre by virtue of the fact that nothing gets our full attention, not the important projects, not the important conversations, and not the important people. Most people are running so fast they miss life. They are in one place physically and another place mentally. You are most effective when you are mentally where you are physically, when you are present in the moment. Athletes call it playing in the zone. When you're present in the moment, your thinking is clear and focused. Decisions come easily and you move through tasks almost effortlessly. When you are in the moment, you live with grace and ease. When you are totally present in the moment, when you connect with the now, life is more enjoyable. The best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. Abraham Lincoln You can't change the past or act in the future. The current moment, the eternal right now, is all you have. Right now, you can affect what happens to you for the rest of your life. The future is created now. Our dreams are achieved in the moment. My wife Judy and I are both cancer survivors. 
for those of you who have dealt with cancer, either yourself or with a family member, you know firsthand how quickly you gain an appreciation for the present moment. The fact is that life happens in the moment. Life is lived in the moment. And ultimately, greatness is created in the moment. Performing in the Moment Like many people around the world, every couple of years I tune in to the Olympic Games to watch amazing athletes do incredible things. A few years back, as I watched the events, the following thought crossed my mind. When does a champion become great? The obvious answer seemed to be when the individual achieves a high level of performance, such as winning a gold medal. But as I considered my own question further, I came to the conclusion that greatness is not achieved when the result is reached, but rather long before that, when an individual chooses to do the things that he knows he needs to do. Let's stick with the Olympic athlete as an example. The athlete becomes great not when she breaks a world record and wins a medal. That's when the world recognizes her. But in reality, the event is just the evidence of her greatness. The athlete achieved greatness months, perhaps years earlier, when she decided to run the extra mile, swim the extra laps, or to perform just one jump more. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. I would argue that Michael Phelps didn't achieve greatness when he won his 18th gold medal or when he won his first. He became great when he decided to do the things that would allow him to win. He achieved greatness the moment he chose to put the effort into his training, spending the hours in the gym and pool and eating the foods his body needed instead of those he wanted, strengthening his mental resolve. The gold medal wins were simply the evidence of his greatness. Michael Phelps had actually achieved greatness many years earlier. Results are not the attainment of greatness, but simply confirmation of it. You become great long before the results show it. It happens in an instant, the moment you choose to do the things you need to do to be great. Let him who would enjoy a great future waste none of his present. Roger Ward Babson What I find profound is that the difference between greatness and mediocrity on a daily and weekly basis is slim, yet the difference in results down the road is tremendous. The difference between greatness and mediocrity for a salesperson is two or three extra appointments a week, five or ten more calls a day, three hours out of a 45-hour work week spent working on their business. For a manager or leader, it's recognizing the good work of one more person each day, delegating a task instead of doing it themselves, spending three hours of their week on strategic priorities, giving verbal praise and encouragement to someone who's struggling. On a daily and weekly basis, these differences seem minor, but in the long run they are significant. Each and every one of us has the God-given ability to be great. 
What makes a champion is the discipline to do the extra things, even when, especially when, you don't feel like it. The encouraging news is that regardless of how you've performed in the past or how you are performing currently, you can be great beginning today simply by choosing to do the things you know you need to do. It's really no more complicated than that. In the end, you are either great in the moment or not at all. In the first chapter, I wrote about the two lives most of us have, the one we live and the one we are capable of living. Don't settle for anything less than the life you are capable of. Make a commitment to be great each day and watch what can happen in just twelve short weeks. Chapter 11 Intentional Imbalance The twelve-week year is powerful and life-changing. Although the bulk of examples we use in this audiobook address the application of the twelve-week year for your business, it applies equally well in all areas of your life. One challenge most of us face is balancing our time and energy between work and family, community service and recreation, exercise and relaxation, personal passions and obligations. Too much time and effort spent in a single area can create burnout and a lack of fulfillment overall. You can start to feel as if one area of your life is draining your energy, stealing your joy, and subverting your real purpose in life. It's no wonder that so many people are seeking ways to regain balance in their lives. The challenge of work-life balance is, without question, one of the most significant struggles faced by modern man. Stephen Covey If taken literally, the phrase life balance is something of a misnomer. It is natural to think that the goal of life balance is to spend equal time and energy in the various areas of your life, but in reality, that's not practical, and it would not necessarily create the life you desire. Trying to spend equal time in each area is unproductive and often frustrating. Life balance is not about equal time in each area. Life balance is more about intentional imbalance. Life balance is achieved when you are purposeful about how and where you spend your time, energy, and effort. At different times in your life, you will choose to focus on one area over another, and that's perfectly fine, provided it's intentional. Life has different seasons, each with its own set of challenges and blessings. There's no such thing as work-life balance. There are work-life choices, and you make them, and they have consequences. Jack Welch The twelve-week year is a terrific process to help you live a life of intentional imbalance. Many of our clients use the twelve-week year to focus on a few key areas in their lives and gain new ground. Think about what could be different for you if every twelve weeks you focused on a few key areas in your life and made significant improvement. Think about your health and fitness. What might be different if for the next 12 weeks you made a commitment to improve in this area? One option is to set out a 12-week goal in this area and build a 12-week plan. In this scenario, you would identify a handful of tactics that you would execute on a daily and weekly basis over the next 12 weeks. 
Your plan may include tactics like these. Do 20 minutes of cardio three times a week. Train with weights three times a week. Drink at least six glasses of water each day. Limit calorie intake to 1,200 daily. The other option is to again set a 12-week goal, but rather than building a tactical plan, you identify a keystone or core action and commit to completing it for the next 12 weeks. In certain instances, a full plan works best, while in others, a keystone commitment is most productive. What about your relationships, your spouse or significant other, family, and close friends? You can use the 12-week year to build better relationships or create more romance or intimacy with your mate. How might those relationships be different if you committed yourself to making real progress over the next 12 weeks? This can be as simple as making an action commitment, like having one date night or family night a week, and following through for the next 12 weeks. It truly is incredible what you can accomplish in just 12 weeks when you commit to a specific action. Consider other areas like your spiritual, financial, emotional, intellectual, or community life. Maybe it's time to get out of debt or finish that degree you put on hold. Perhaps you've been thinking about writing a book, starting a foundation, or learning a new language. You might not be able to complete goals like these in 12 weeks, but you can sure make significant progress. Breaking your bigger goals into 12-week segments allows you not only to make consistent progress, but also to celebrate the milestones along the way. When you are making real progress, you feel greater satisfaction, feel more fulfilled, and stay motivated to see the project through to completion. To decide what to focus on, start with your vision. Then, rate yourself in the seven areas of life balance. That is, spiritual, spouse-partner, family, community, physical, personal, and business. I like to use a scale from 1 to 10 to rate my level of satisfaction. A score of 10 is the best I can be in an area. In other words, 10 is great by my definition. Conversely, a score of 1 would be terrible by my definition. Notice that I am using my definition of success and satisfaction as the basis for my assessment. If you are single, for example, and you are happy with that, you might score yourself a 10 under the key relationship category. Each of these areas is either a source of energy or a drain of it. Think about it. If your work life is stressful, full of uncertainty and unfulfilling, it is bound to affect your personal life. However, if your career provides you a nice income and you enjoy what you do, that creates energy and momentum across the other areas and will have a positive effect. The 12-week year has the power to increase your income and material wealth two, three, or even fourfold. It also has the power to help you experience the same magnitude of improvement in any area you choose. Apply the 12-week year to all areas of your life and be prepared for some amazing things to happen. Be encouraged. Part 2. Putting it all together. 
Part 2 provides additional insights and captures more than a decade of learning about what it takes to apply consistently the fundamentals of execution. We provide proven tools, templates, and tips to help you apply the 12-week year in a powerful way and achieve your goals. A year from now, you'll wish you had started today. Chapter 12 the Execution System The 12-week year is an execution system that helps you operate at your best each day by creating clarity and focus on what matters most and a sense of urgency to do it now. As a result, more of the important stuff gets done day in and day out. A few days or weeks of that is no big deal, but when you put together day after day after day, week after week after week, the result is like compound interest, and in just 12 weeks you can be in a very different position, both personally and professionally. You may have noticed as you listened to the first section of this audiobook that in addition to restructuring your year into 12 weeks, there are a number of fundamental elements that we have discussed as well. In fact, there are eight elements that we believe are fundamental to high performance in any endeavor. Those eight elements are vision, planning, process control, measurement, time use, accountability, commitment, and greatness in the moment. In this section, we've organized these elements into a set of three principles and five disciplines. We have found that organizing them in this way will help you better understand how they operate as a holistic system making it easier for you to apply them consistently. One of the challenges with these disciplines and principles is that most people know what they are, but knowing and doing are two very different things. As you learn to leverage these more effectively in your business and personal life, you will be amazed at what you can accomplish and how quickly you can do it. Three Principles the 12-week year builds on a foundation of three principles that in the end determine an individual's effectiveness and success. These principles are 1. Accountability 2. Commitment 3. Greatness in the moment Let's take a closer look at each one. Accountability Accountability is ultimately ownership. It is a character trait, a life stance, a willingness to own actions and results, regardless of the circumstances. The very nature of accountability rests on the understanding that each and every one of us has freedom of choice. It is this freedom of choice that is the foundation of accountability. The ultimate aim of accountability is to continually ask oneself, What more can I do to get the result? Commitment Commitment is a personal promise that you make to yourself. Keeping your promises to others builds strong relationships, and keeping promises to yourself builds character, esteem, and success. Commitment and accountability go hand in glove. In a sense, commitment is accountability projected into the future. It is ownership of a future action or result. Building your commitment capacity has a dramatic effect on your personal and business results. 
The 12-week year helps you build the capacity to follow through on critical commitments and achieve breakthrough results in all areas. Greatness in the Moment As I wrote in Chapter 10, greatness is not achieved when a great result is reached, but long before that, when an individual makes the choice to do what is necessary to become great. The results are not the attainment of greatness, but simply confirmation of it. You become great long before the results show it. It happens in an instant, the moment you choose to do the things you need to do to be great, and each moment that you continue to choose to do those things. These three principles, accountability, commitment, and greatness in the moment, form the foundation of personal and professional success. Five Disciplines the 12-week year tackles both the way you think and the actions you take. At the action level, it concentrates on building capacity within a set of success disciplines that are required for effective execution. We have found that top performers, whether athletes or business professionals, are great not because their ideas are better, but because their execution disciplines are better. These five disciplines are 1. Vision. 2. Planning. 3. Process control. 4. Measurement. 5. Time use. The 12 week year will help you apply these disciplines in a way that leverages your knowledge and skills and fosters consistent action. Vision. A compelling vision creates a clear picture of the future. It is critical that your business vision aligns with and enables your personal vision. This alignment ensures a powerful emotional connection that promotes a sustained commitment and continual action. Planning An effective plan clarifies and focuses on the top priority initiatives and actions needed to achieve the vision. A good plan is constructed in a manner that facilitates effective implementation. Process Control Process control consists of a set of tools and events that align your daily actions with the critical actions in your plan. These tools and events ensure that more of your time is spent on strategic and money-making activities. Measurement Measurement drives the process. It is the anchor of reality. Effective measurement combines both lead and lag indicators that provide comprehensive feedback necessary for informed decision-making. Time use Everything happens in the context of time. If you are not in control of your time, then you are not in control of your results. Using your time with clear intention is a must. It's important that you see the interconnectedness of these five disciplines. If you don't have a clear, compelling vision, then the other disciplines really don't matter because you are not living a life by design, but by chance. If you have a vision but no plan, then you have a pipe dream. If you have a vision and a focused plan but lack process control, then you'll have a lot of frustration because some days you will execute and make progress and some days you won't. If you have those disciplines in place but lack the courage to keep score, then there's no way for you to know what's working and what isn't. 
there is no way for you to make game-time adjustments that can accelerate your success. Finally, if all of those are in place, but you are not intentional about what you say yes to and what you say no to, then the day is controlling you. The Emotional Cycle of Change To apply the 12-week year will require change, and change is uncomfortable. It's helpful to understand the process we go through emotionally when faced with change so we won't be derailed by it. Whenever we decide to make a change in our lives, we experience an emotional roller coaster. Psychologists Don Kelly and Daryl Connor describe this phenomenon in a paper called The Emotional Cycle of Change. Kelly and Connor's Emotional Cycle of Change, ECOC, includes five stages of emotional experience, which we will explore here with slight modifications based on our experience. Regardless of the change you choose to make, you will experience this cycle. You can plot new relationships, new purchases, new jobs, and new neighborhoods on the ECOC, and it's always the same. Sometimes the highs are higher, and sometimes the lows are lower. Sometimes the cycle is shorter, and other times it's longer. But in all cases, you will experience this cycle when you decide to make a change in your life. There are five stages that people move through emotionally when changing their behavior. 1. Uninformed optimism 2. Informed pessimism 3. Valley of despair 4. Informed optimism 5. Success and fulfillment the first stage of change is often most exciting, as we imagine all of the benefits and have not yet experienced any of the costs. Our emotions are driven by our uninformed optimism, which is in the positive emotional area. You see all of the benefits of the change and none of the downsides, so this stage is fun. You are brainstorming ideas and strategizing how you might create the new level of results that you desire. Unfortunately, Uninformed optimism doesn't last long. As you learn more about the reality of what it takes to change, positive emotions can quickly sour. The second stage of change, informed pessimism, is characterized by a shift to a negative emotional state. At this point, the benefits don't seem as real, important, or immediate, and the costs of the change are apparent. You start to question if the change is really worth the effort and begin to look for reasons to abandon the effort. If that's not bad enough, things get worse. I call the third stage the Valley of Despair. This is when most people give up. All of the pain of change is felt, and the benefits seem far away or less important, and there is a fast, easy way to end the discomfort, going back to the way you used to do things. After all, you rationalize that it wasn't so bad before. If you quit on change when you were in the valley of despair, you go back to the first stage, uninformed optimism, which is a whole lot more fun than being in the valley. It is precisely at this stage, the valley of despair, that having a compelling vision is critical. Nearly all of us have had times in our lives when we wanted something so badly we were willing to pay any price and overcome any hurdle to get it. Maybe it was your first car, 
Maybe it was getting into that college you always dreamed of attending. Maybe it was pursuing the person whom you wanted to marry. Maybe it was your dream job. Whatever it was, you wanted it so badly that you willingly paid the price of your own comfort to get it. Wanting passionately to reach your vision, combined with commitment and the tools and events of process control, is the way through the valley to the next stage of change. The fourth stage is informed optimism. At this stage, your likelihood of success is much higher. You are back in the positive emotional area of the cycle. The benefits of your actions are starting to bear fruit, and the costs of change are lessened because your new thoughts and actions are becoming more routine. The key at this stage is not to stop. Success and fulfillment is the final stage of the ECOC. At this final stage of change, the benefits of your new behaviors are fully experienced and the costs of change are virtually gone. The actions, which at the beginning were difficult and uncomfortable, have now become routine. Every time you complete the cycle, you build not only your capacity, but also your confidence. At this point, you can move on to the next change that you want to implement with greater assurance of success. The ECOC is the description of the emotional impact of change. By being aware of this cycle, you are less likely to be derailed by negative emotions and are able to manage change more effectively. Closed System The 12-week year is a closed system in that it contains everything you need to succeed. In our two-day workshop, we have the participants list everything it takes to excel. Then, we list all of those items on a flip chart. Typically, there are more than 20, and the list fills one to two large sheets of paper. When we go through each item, every one of them is represented in these disciplines and principles. That is why, if you apply the 12-week year fully as a complete system, you can't help but improve. The challenge is that not everyone applies it as a system. Often, people will apply some of the elements and not apply others. Like any system, the whole is exponentially greater than the sum of the parts. Apply and leverage any one of the disciplines or principles and you will gain from it. But the real breakthrough comes when all of them are applied in their entirety. When applied in this way, the 12-week year becomes a self-correcting system that creates a breadcrumb trail that allows you to pinpoint any breakdowns and take corrective action on a timely basis. It is a deliberate practice system that is designed for continuous improvement. In addition to being a closed system, the 12-week year also facilitates change. When you install the 12-week year as your operating system, it makes subsequent change easier. Let's use a computer as an analogy. You can have the best software money can buy, but if your operating system is not working, those programs are worthless. We've all experienced this from time to time when the printer won't print, the document won't open, or your computer is frozen. When you install the 12-week year as your operating system, it leverages your other business systems. For instance, most companies have systems for marketing, sales, products, service, technology, and other business processes. Without a system for execution, 
we tend to hang on to our existing systems because that is what is familiar and predictable, especially when we are faced with change. When the 12-week year is your operating system, it supports all your other business systems. So when change comes, and it will, you do not experience a massive upheaval. Instead, you can easily incorporate new systems like plug-and-play software. People need stability. We need some things to remain the same. The 12-week year as an operating system stays the same. It provides a consistent platform to implement corporate initiatives and change efforts without the chaos that usually accompanies change. For an individual, it functions as the daily foundation that doesn't change. The 12-week year is not one more thing you do. It is how you get things done. In the following chapters, we will take a deep dive into the disciplines and principles of the 12-week year. We will provide you with even greater insight, as well as tools and exercises you can use effectively to apply and leverage these fundamentals to achieve more in 12 weeks than most do in 12 months. Chapter 13. Establish Your Vision The first step to creating breakthrough with the 12-week year is to craft a great vision for yourself. This should be a fun and inspiring exercise. Vision is critical because there will be days when you just won't feel like taking action on your plan. To help you stay on track, you will need a powerful reason why, and that's your vision. Sal Durso, a longtime friend and client, has a personal take on the power of vision. We've applied the principles of the 12-week year in our firm for years. It has become second nature to us. It's the way that we get stuff done, and it's the way that we stay on track even when things get in the way. Not long ago, our firm lost a big part of our revenue when a group of our key advisors left and took with them their clients and their revenue. As you would expect, this was an extremely trying time for the firm, and it impacted me both personally and professionally. The people leaving were not just business associates, they were longtime friends as well, and their loss was felt deeply by all of us who remained. I could have put my victim glasses on and placed all of the blame for this loss squarely on those who had left. Okay, Looking back, there may have been at least a couple of days that I had a why-me attitude, but in the end, my desire and vision to build a business that would survive long past my stewardship took over. It was during this time that I took a much-needed summer trip to the incredible state of Alaska. While there, I intentionally shifted my thinking and reflected on the things that have made my life so incredibly wonderful. A relationship with a God who loves me, a wife and family who any man would be proud of, and a business that is approaching a milestone that few will ever see, fifty years in profitable operation. As a part of the trip to Alaska, we took a fantastic rafting journey down the Kennecott River. As we navigated our way around yet another scenic bend in the river, an incredible sea of purple flowers appeared. The flowers spread across the mountainside as far as the eye could see. Our guide said that this was called fireweed, and just a few years ago this vista had been a charred remnant of a forest fire. 
When this purple blanket appears, it is the first sign that the forest is regenerating. It filled me with awe and a sense of hope and expectation for the new forest that was to come. Apparently, even nature has a way to create a vision for what is to follow. It occurred to me then that rather than contemplate the charred remains of our loss, we needed to focus on the new signs of rebirth in our business. As leader of the organization, it was clear to me that our firm needed the same vision that I just had, and it was my role to set it. Arriving back in my office excited and refreshed, much of the next few weeks was spent talking with each of our team members, asking them what they felt made our organization unique and what they thought about the future. These discussions and hours of contemplation helped me craft a vision that one year later is our fireweed field, the guiding light for our company. A year after our forest fire, the fireweed has emerged, and the young saplings that will make us stronger than ever before are germinating. Our leadership team, advisors, and staff all say that our firm is a better place because of what happened a short year ago. As leader, I know the vision that we are all committed to is the change agent that will shape our organization for years to come. True success will happen when people bound by a common vision work together for a common outcome. More firestorms may come, but our vision and faith will carry us through. Sal saw the power of vision to create movement and progress and took action. Many people miss out on the potential of vision to create the emotional energy needed to inspire positive action, even in an environment of charred earth. Do you have charred earth like Sal had? Or are you doing fine but aspire to greater heights? In both scenarios, a compelling vision is a powerful force to move you forward. The most powerful visions address and align your personal aspirations with your professional dreams. In the end, your professional vision often funds and enables your personal vision. For your vision to help you push through the discomfort of change, you must be clear on what it is you want to create in life. Most people focus primarily on their business or career, but your business is just part of your life, and it is actually your life vision that gives traction and relevance to your business. The best visions are big ones. In our experience, nothing great is ever accomplished without first being preceded by a big vision. All of the great accomplishments of mankind, from medicine to technology to space travel to the world wide web, were first envisioned and then created. All of your big personal accomplishments must also be preceded by big visions. So, we challenge you to dream big and imagine true greatness for yourself. Your vision should be big enough that it makes you feel at least a little bit uncomfortable. Impossible, possible, Probable, given. Unfortunately, when we imagine a future that is significantly bigger than our current reality, we can begin to think that it is impossible for us. We can see others who have achieved great things, but we start to think that there is no way that we can get there. When you start to envision a significant accomplishment that is well beyond what you've achieved in the past, the question most people immediately ask is, How would I do this? That 
is the wrong question so early in the process. The fact is, you don't know how to do it because if you did, you would likely be doing it already and living that reality. The fact that you don't know how to do it creates the perception that it is impossible, at least for you, and it makes you think of new goals on a sliding scale of impossibility to certainty. Your ability to do something is malleable in this mindset. The problem is that if you think something is impossible, you will never attain it. Henry Ford said, If you think you can or think you can't, you're right. The first step, then, to reaching your biggest dreams is to shift from impossible thinking to possible thinking. You do this not by asking how, but by asking what if. What would be different for you, your family, your friends, your team, your clients, and your community? By asking what if, you give yourself permission to entertain the possibility and begin to connect with the benefits. As you do this, the desire intensifies, and the door on your future cracks open just a fraction, but enough so you automatically begin to shift from impossible to possible thinking. Once you see your vision as possible, then you begin to shift from possible to the next level, probable. You make this shift by asking the question that we avoided earlier, how might I? How is not a bad question. In fact, it is a perfectly good question, but the timing is critical. Ask it too early and it shuts down the whole process. But once you see your vision as possible, the question of how is an essential one. If the question of what if is the visioning question, then the question of how is the planning question. The final shift needed in your thinking to create an effective vision is to move from probable to given. This shift happens naturally as you begin to implement the planned actions. Given is a powerful state of mind where any question of doubt is gone and mentally you are already standing in the end results. As you see the results start to materialize, your thinking shifts almost automatically to given. Crafting Your Vision The best visions balance your personal and professional lives. Typically, your passion comes from your personal vision, and passion is the energy source that helps you push through the pain of change and the valley of despair. If you're going to create breakthrough and reach your next level, you will need to move through the fear, uncertainty, and discomfort of the valley of despair. It is your personal vision that keeps you in the game when things become difficult. Your vision provides you with a line of sight, an emotional link to help you overcome the challenges and execute. When the task seems too difficult or unpleasant, you can reconnect with your vision. It is this emotional connection that will provide you with the inner strength to forge ahead in spite of any difficulties, enabling you to achieve your dreams and desires. There are three time horizons that you'll want to focus your vision on. 1. Long-term aspirations. 2. Mid-term goals about three years into the future. 3. Twelve weeks, covered in the next chapter. Aspirational Vision So, let's start with the long-term aspirational vision. In formulating your vision, 
You must let your mind expand to imagine and even embrace the possibilities that often get pushed aside in our daily lives as being not immediate enough to command our attention, impractical, or too audacious to even consider, let alone pursue. Take a few minutes right now and think about all of the things that you want to have, do, and be in your life. What is the most important to you physically, spiritually, mentally, relationally, financially, professionally, and personally? How much time freedom do you want? What income do you desire? Write everything you can think of on a sheet of paper. Leave nothing off the page. Now, take the items from your page that you connect with emotionally and construct a vision of your life five, ten, fifteen years into the future. Be bold. Be courageous. Create a life vision that inspires you and fulfills your purpose. There are no right or wrong answers. This is the life you deeply desire. Three-Year Vision Now that we've got you thinking about the possibilities in your life, let's get specific. Based on your long-term vision, what do you want to create over the next three years? Describe in as much detail as possible what a great personal and professional life would look like three years from today. The more specific you are at this stage, the easier it will be to create your 12-week goals and your plan. Thinking Shift By its nature, vision is a thinking exercise but how you view the concept of vision will impact the degree to which you leverage and benefit from it. The predominant limiting belief regarding vision is that it is soft and fluffy, insignificant in the success equation and the attainment of results. As you now know, that is not the case. Vision, when engaged properly, is the ignition switch and power source of high performance. It is the all-important why behind the things you do. When viewed in this light, vision has the power to enable one to confront and conquer fears, take bold, consistent action, and live a life of significance. The shift in thinking from seeing vision as fluff to seeing it as the mother of all antecedents is a fundamental shift in thinking that will pay huge dividends. When you understand the true power of vision, you will want to spend more time connecting with your own vision to begin to free yourself from the self-imposed limitations that have held you back. Vision is the starting point of all high performance. Team Application While vision is generally an intensely personal exercise, a manager can often take specific actions that will help their direct reports to more effectively leverage their visions. Vision is the best starting point for all effective performance-based coaching relationships because vision creates ownership. If your direct reports take ownership of their visions, it will be much easier to help them to own their goals and plan tactics as well. This is a critical step because without it, the goals and plans they develop will be yours, not theirs. Review the visions of your team in individual one-on-one -on -one sessions. Ask permission to review their professional visions with them. Dig into why the business vision they have is important to them. Explore what achieving their business goals enables in their personal lives. Inquire about the level of ownership 
and emotional connection they have for their vision. Questions that uncover the degree of ownership. Why are the elements of your vision important to you? What will you be able to do if you reach your vision that you cannot do now? What will be different for you, your family, your friends, your peers, your clients, your community, if you reach that goal? Are you willing to commit to the actions needed to reach your vision? Who have you shared your vision with? How often have you looked at your vision since you wrote it? What actions do you have to take to make progress on your vision and reach your 12-week goal? What risks or barriers exist that may get in the way of you reaching your vision and goals? How can I best support and help you achieve your goals and vision? Once they have clear ownership of their visions, the next step is to help them build an action plan to achieve them. The how-to section on 12-week planning in Chapter 14 will help you assist with that step. When you conduct individual coaching sessions with your direct reports, and we encourage you to do these at least monthly, start the conversations with their vision. Are they making progress? Discuss their willingness to take the day-to-day -day actions necessary to reach it. If they are unwilling to take the difficult actions, confront them with the reality that they won't attain their long-term vision. The breakdown is a question of ownership. When an individual is reluctant to take the necessary actions required to accomplish a goal, it is an indication that they own their current comfort more than they own the future described in their vision. In these cases, people have a couple of choices. They can either lower their expectations in life or find the courage and discipline to execute the plan tactics consistently. The good news is that many times, when confronted with this choice, your team members will reconnect and choose their aspirational vision over mediocrity. Team Visions As a leader, it's important that you establish a team vision for your company, division, or group. We are not talking about a vision statement that is worded just so and framed and hung on the wall. The team vision is similar to the individual vision in that it describes the destination at a fixed point in the future. As a group, you will want to put some stakes in the ground with regard to what matters most. This is best accomplished by having each team member first work through their individual visions, then come together as a group to create a common team vision. When creating the team vision, you will want to apply many of the same dynamics used in creating your personal visions. Start with the long term by having everyone brainstorm what a great company or office would look like in the future. Get them to be as specific as possible and assign numeric values where applicable. Give everyone a chance to share their thoughts with the group, then narrow the horizon, look three years out, and work together to determine the specific elements that will stay part of the vision and those that won't. Common Pitfalls and Success Tips Pitfall 1. You don't take the power of vision seriously. Some people, especially Type A people, think that vision is fluff. 
Those who think about vision this way tend to leap past the question of purpose and dive into action. Problem is that when the going gets difficult, it is harder to stay committed to the work in the long run because there is no compelling reason, no persuasive why. The behaviors associated with this pitfall are not keeping your vision in front of you, not aligning your plans with it, and not remembering what is in it. Pitfall 2. The vision isn't meaningful to you. Sometimes we are superficial in crafting our vision. We capture what we think we want, what we think we are supposed to want, rather than capturing what is meaningful to us. Visioning takes time. Keep working on it until you have something that connects emotionally. Pitfall 3. Your vision is too small. A small vision doesn't call on our best efforts. We don't have to reach and we don't have to sacrifice our comfort. A small vision might be achievable, but we leave our best undelivered. To be most effective, your vision should make you feel uncomfortable and challenge you to do things differently and do different things. Pitfall 4. You don't connect your vision to your daily actions. Each day is an opportunity either to make progress on your vision or tread water. If you want to work from a plan that is aligned with your vision, you can be sure that you are acting on the most important things every day. You've crafted your vision and checked to avoid making these common mistakes. Now, here are three important action steps to take to make your vision even more powerful for you. Success Tip 1 Share it with others. Sharing your vision increases your commitment to it. When you tell someone else what you want in life, you feel more responsibility to act. Success tip two. Stay in touch with your vision. Print it out and keep it with you. Review it each morning and update it every time that you discover ways to make it more vivid and meaningful to you. Success tip three. Live with intention. At the end of each day, take a few minutes to reflect on the progress that you made today. Did it move you forward, or was it filled with activity that wasn't related to your vision? Resolve to be intentional in your actions to make progress on your vision. What action will you take tomorrow? Chapter 14 Develop Your 12-Week Plan this chapter will guide you through the development of your first 12-week plan. Before you create a 12-week plan, you must define and commit to your vision. If you have not already done so, be sure to work through Chapter 13, Establish Your Vision, to prepare you to set an effective 12-week goal and to create a solid plan to reach it. Planning is Beneficial Unless your job is mostly reactionary in nature, it's hard to argue against the value of planning. Planning enables you to allocate your time and resources to your highest value opportunities. It increases your odds of successfully hitting your goals, it helps you to coordinate your team, and it creates a competitive advantage. In spite of the proven benefits of working from a plan, not everyone does so. One reason for this is that many people have a bias for taking action. While an action bias can be a good thing, 
it can also get in the way of effective execution. We can get impatient and want to get on with things too quickly. An effective plan takes time to create, and it requires some hard work. It may seem counterintuitive, but by taking the time to plan up front, the overall time and effort to complete a task can be significantly reduced. Another reason that many people don't work from a plan is that they have a belief that goes something like, I already know what I need to do, so I don't need a plan to get it done. On the surface, this may seem reasonable, but unfortunately there is almost always a gap between what people know and what they do. For example, many people want to get into better physical shape, and virtually all of them know that it takes a healthy diet and exercise, but sadly, most people don't ever become more fit. That's because simply knowing what to do just isn't enough. The world is noisy, the unexpected happens, distractions arise, our innate desire for comfort tugs at us, and we lose focus on the things we know we should do. That's why, to increase your odds of success, one of the most powerful things you can do is to create and work from a written plan. Twelve-week planning isn't just valuable for business. A well-written plan can positively impact almost any area of your life. J.K. McAndrews tells this short story about his son and the twelve-week year. My son Kevin is a senior at LSU, and a couple of years ago he was really struggling with balancing his time between school, fraternity, and his job with the football team. Over Christmas week that year, I taught him the basic principles of the twelve-week year, and beginning with the next semester, he developed clearly defined goals with strategies and tactics to support them. Since then, he sends me a weekly plan every Sunday night, and even added his own wrinkle by finding an inspirational quote that will motivate him for that particular week. His grades have improved, and more importantly, he has had a better focus on his goals, is more organized, and has definitely come to understand the term greatness in the moment. Game Changer Operating in the 12-week year execution cycle creates an increased premium on the value of time. In 12 weeks, each day counts towards reaching your goals. The value of each moment is brought into sharp focus when there are only 12 weeks in your entire year. One of the benefits that comes from applying the 12-week year is learning to act in the moment, because that's where the future that you will experience is being created. Living your life in the moment, however, can be done in two very different ways, either reactively or proactively. If you are reactive in the moment, you risk taking suboptimal actions because the primary drivers of your actions are input triggers. The phone rings, the email dings, a new task appears, someone knocks on your door, and off you go. It is difficult in the moment to know what your highest value activities are because you are typically not choosing between good activity and bad activity. You are choosing between higher value and lower value activity, and that ranking often isn't clear in the moment. That's why 12-week planning is so beneficial. With an action-based plan, you don't have to rely on input triggers to initiate your actions. Instead, your plan triggers your actions. 
Your action choices are made proactively at the beginning of the 12 weeks when you create your plan. In short, a 12-week plan helps you get more of the right things done each day, and ultimately it helps you reach your goals faster and with greater impact. Another benefit of 12-week planning is a fiercely consistent focus on the few vital actions that drive your results. You can't effectively pursue a large number of different things in a 12-week year because there simply isn't enough time to get everything done. In 12 weeks, you only focus on the minimum number of actions that are most important to hit your goal. You also benefit from 12-week planning because of the short time horizon. Uncertainty is reduced due to the shortened time frame, and as a result, you can plan effectively at the action level. Annual plans are typically not action-based because it is nearly impossible to predict the action needed four or more months out. This is a profound benefit of the 12-week year. Due to increased uncertainty, most annual plans are objective-based and cannot be executed as written. Typical annual plans tell you what has to be achieved, but they don't specify how. When the how is not clearly defined, you lose a sense of scope and can easily take on more than you can physically execute. The daily and weekly hows of a 12-week plan are what makes it execution-friendly. When you get down to action-level granularity on your plan, you are setting yourself up for success. Here's how our friend Patrick Morin describes his experience with 12-week planning. My passion for the 12-week year began with the challenge to drop 38 pounds that just wouldn't go away. The period goal, strategy, and tactics fit perfectly into solving my nagging weight problem and also gave me exactly the right tools to prepare for a triathlon. After reaching my goal and buzzing with my new fitness, I looked around for other ways to apply the 12-week year. At that time, we were raising money for a new startup company in the healthcare industry. We had started in earnest in January, writing all the required documents and preparing the product. The process was taking longer than we had anticipated, and we continued to have to fund the company internally. It was straining both resources and patience. It seemed to me that this would be the perfect place to implement the 12-week year. On a Monday in early July, I gathered the senior staff to plan it out. The critical objective was pretty clear. In order for the idea and the company to survive, we would have to finish the private placement memorandum and raise the money in the next 12 weeks. The economic climate at the time could best be described as dismal. Investors in general were hard to come by, and this would require a Herculean effort. The vision for the company was clear. The next step was to create a 12-week plan to acquire funding. We had to forget the previous six months' slog and focus only on the 12 weeks ahead. Using the battle cry, every day is a week, we finished a 100-page PPM in the first week. We got it to our legal team for review, and a week later we were green-lighted. That's when the real energy kicked in. Reaching out to a network of hundreds of people that were personally known to each of us, we found a critical mass of people willing to step in, and we closed the first round on October 10th. 
The energy created around this effort continued through our development efforts, and each of our projects took on its own twelve-week year. The company's cadence was remarked upon by investors, employees, and officers alike. A good plan fosters solid execution. Imagine driving cross-country with directions that have turns out of order, combine several instructions into one, and leave out big chunks of the trip. You'd probably want to smack the person who created those directions and would either stop to get better directions or give up and go home in frustration. That may sound silly, but I bet that you would be surprised by how many people create business plans just like those bad directions. We see plans all the time that are missing steps, lump, complicated, time-consuming processes into a single tactic and have actions out of sequence. Worse yet, rather than specifying the actions needed to reach the goal, many times the plan is just a collection of thoughts and ideas. It would be like driving from Miami to Chicago using directions that said something like, Get in your car and drive in the general direction of Chicago. Plans like this are way too common, and they keep you from executing. Writing an effective 12-week plan is key to accomplishing great things in only 12 weeks. The plan defines the actions that you will need to take each week of the 12 to reach your goal. Long-Term Capacity versus Short-Term Results Plans can both build capacity for the future and drive short-term results. Every plan should have a goal to drive business results in the current 12 weeks. If the plan is for your business, this means that it should always target income to be realized in the current 12 weeks. Some plans may also target building future capacity. Capacity objectives include such things as pursuing education, hiring staff, updating technology, implementing new systems, and so on. Effort and resources expended to build capacity happen immediately, while the benefits are realized sometime in the future. That's why it's important to always have activity in your plan that creates required short-term results. Effective Plan Structure The structure of the plan that you write matters if you want to set yourself up to be successful. A good plan starts with a good goal. If your goal is not specific or measurable, the plan that you write will also be vague. The more specific and measurable your 12-week goals, the easier it will be to write a solid 12-week plan. Many 12-week efforts are comprised of two or three goals. For example, you might have a 12-week goal to lose 10 pounds and another goal to generate $105,000 in new business. Each of these goals then becomes a planning target for which you need to write tactics. Tactics for the weight goal are specific actions you must take to achieve your desired weight. If you are working to lose weight, your tactics might include limit calorie intake to 1,200 per day and do 20 minutes of cardio three times per week. Note that these tactics start with a verb and are complete sentences. The way that you write your goals and tactics matters. Your income goal of $105,000 would have a separate set of tactics. There are five criteria that will help you create better 12-week plans when you are writing goals and tactics. Criteria 1. Make them specific and measurable. 
For each goal and tactic, be sure to quantify and qualify what success looks like. How many calls will you make? How many pounds will you lose? How far will you run? How much income will you earn? The more specific you can be, the better. Criteria 2. State them positively. Focus on what you want to happen that is positive. For example, rather than focusing on a 2% error rate, you would target a 98% accuracy rate. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes.